Hello and welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance sport. That's good enough for this episode. I'm Grant Holicky, and uh, I'm here with Trevor and Rob. And our guest this week is Stephen Hyde. Stephen has been recently named the director of USA Cyclocross or the manager of USA Cyclocross. And uh, that's why I'm hosting. We're going to get dirty this week. We're going to have to wash your chamois twice. We're going to get to that place where we make sure you weren't wearing white because you're going to ruin it. And we're going to talk some cross. From henceforth, I think Steven should just be the man of USA Cyclocross. I got that. I'm down. You good with that, Steven? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Technically, I'm just the coach, but oh. I'll take whatever I can get. Okay. Worst I just, I just, ever. I just, I just, <laughs> I just demoted Jesse Anthony and promoted <laughs> Stephen Hyde right here on this show. Well, that's because Stephen is, is the man of cyclocross and it's okay that it was a terrible intro. Everybody knows that we're just going to re-record an introduction anyway. I hope so. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> it was nice of you to let him try it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. It was nice of him to let, him, like, let me try it out. Training wheels over here for Grant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got to start on a strider. Yeah, don't let them get it too fast. <laughs> For both beginners and veterans, polarized training is the best way to get and stay fast year after year. And this is the perfect time of year to be thinking about how polarized training can help you. In our new guide featuring Dr. Steven Seiler, explore fascinating and helpful topics like how polarized training is different from sweet spot, how to bust out of performance plateaus, how to polarize all season, how to build durability, and how to time your high-intensity work. With the complete guide from Fast Talk Labs, you'll have everything you need to polarize your training like a pro and unlock your elite. Learn more at FastTalkLabs.com. So we do want to spend some time this week talking with you, Stephen, about a couple different points, but one of which is the benefits of, of cyclocross and, and why you love it so much, why I love it so much. I know Rob loves it. Trevor, not so much. Trevor doesn't love it. I you love it. I'm just horrible at it. Right. Got it. So that can make you like it. That's that's the goal of the episode. <laughs> I did some prep this weekend. Do you see this band-aid on my finger? Is that from Riding Cross? <laughs> I, I was out on the trails. I hit a this is like the luckiest moment of my life. I literally went and did a cross course down in Longmont where I've I've done the the race on that course. Xilinx. I can't remember the name. No, no, no. It's the where the head blue sky cup oh, a couple years yeah. ago. Yeah, it's the big from, dirt mound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But hit a bump that I did not see happen. It was one of those hands completely came off the brakes. I slammed down chest on the handlebars. I don't know how I crashed, didn't crash, but put my hand in the spokes. What? And wow. that's like that's the thing that will break fingers. That's pro level right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I took a chunk out of my finger, but considering what could have happened, that was that was pretty lucky. I did not crash. Trevor, we went for a gravel ride on Friday. Why weren't you more prepared for this cyclocross course? <laughs> it's because I suck. <laughs> and I proved it. <laughs> so anyway, luckily then we have Stephen Hyde here, three-time national <laughs> cyclocross champion. Uh, Doesn't suck. He's he's much better than Trevor at cyclocross. So I have crashed a lot harder though. I'm, <laughs> yeah, you were also probably sure. going a lot faster than what I'm embarrassed to speed has yeah. happened. <laughs> Stephen was at least winning something when he crashed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Well, let's start with you, Stephen. I I want to start with 
why do you love cyclocross? What made cyclocross and still does make cyclocross special for you? Why are you so passionate about it? You know, I, I think it's like, it's kind of the most like punk rock of all the like cycling disciplines in a way, right? Like it's, it's kind of dumb. Like you shouldn't do it. It doesn't make any sense. We're using bikes that don't belong on a course that like shouldn't kind of exist. We're not even on our bike the whole time. It's pretty dumb. Like it's, it's kind of a stupid sport. So I think I love it for that fact. It's just so bizarre and extreme and like anything can happen. You literally never know what is going to happen in a race until it's happening. It's the wrong time of year to ride your bike. <laughs> right places that no one, no one wants to ride their bike in. Yeah, you're on a bike that you're not supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be off road on. You are really convincing me to do this. <laughs> yeah, you're selling this hard, dude. <laughs> it's a contradiction. Yeah, to go along with Steven here, I think something that I'm always surprised by is that I didn't break my bike at the end of a cyclocross race to survive and be like, wow, all my pieces are still intact. That alone feels like a win. Even if you're not on the podium, you won. You won something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you won your bike for another week. <laughs> this is the yeah. only cycling discipline I know of where you put a bike in some central area because chances are the bike yeah. you start on isn't going to make it to the end of the race. Oh, you, you count on it. I had somebody ask me one time, like, how are you so fast through that section? And I flat out told them, I don't care about my wheels. Yeah, that is, that is a piece of the puzzle, right? When you know you have that backup, yeah. you can it changes what you can do. And then over time, you get really, really good at the finesse. And the planning. Yeah, and the planning. You're right. You're right. Well, so even though you have convinced everybody they now need to do cross. <laughs> or stay away from it, either one. It's, either way, <laughs> we've been talking about this lately, the diversification of cycling, that there was a time you could be just a road racer and you would get your fill of racing. By the time the cross season would come around, you're like, no, I'm ready to sit on my couch. We don't really live in that world anymore. So people are now jumping into gravel, jumping into mountain biking. And cyclocross is a great way to get a longer season, get some more racing in because there is still a full cyclocross season. So we're very interested today in really talking about how to use cross to work on your fitness, to extend your season, to get a little more, to work on those sides of things that you couldn't get any other way. And so that's the, the question I would love to ask the two of you as the cross experts. What can you get out of cyclocross that you couldn't get racing on the road? Fun. <laughs> I, think, I think <laughs> wow. I think the road could be fun too. I don't think we need to go there. Do you what did you like sitting in the corner when your mom punished you as a kid? Like <laughs> was that fun? Wow. I don't know. Wow. That's what road racing is to the me. The next time I'm in a road race, I'm gonna turn to Trevor wow. and yell, Is this fun for you, Trevor? Yes. <laughs> I did a road race yesterday with 12,000 feet of climbing. That was fun. The previous day I was on my cross bike. I took a chunk out of my finger. I'm going to argue with Rob All on right. this one. All right. I think personally what I see that I get out of cross, and I think, Stephen, you're super interesting because you come from a different angle. You know, I came from cross, came to cross from triathlon and then road racing and then cross. So what I always got out of cross was it was – so different. The things that you were talking about, Stephen, it, it's the challenges, the you're off your bike, you're on your bike. I got to use some of the things I was good at as an athlete growing up 
playing soccer, doing some of those other things. That was really cool for me. And that's why I fell in love with it. You came at it from a completely different angle. How did you come to cross? Yeah. I mean, I'm from Florida, so there's not a ton of cross racing or cross culture there. <laughs> uh, so it actually took me a long time to even like kind of realize that it was a thing. You know, I used to just like sit at the bike shop I worked at and, and watch YouTube videos of races and thought that looks insane. Sign me up, you know, but there, there wasn't even races around, you know? So for me, I just kind of like, I found it because I like to ex- experiment with things. You know, I, I loved, uh, I loved riding road bikes off road for whatever god awful reason. And I loved finding, you know, the dirtiest kind of worst roads that I could find, right? Like any, any, any kind of dirt, gravel, and then ride it on, on the road bike, you know, not necessarily anything bigger than what we had for road time. I just, I always liked that challenge of finding the kind of limit of the bike and the limit of whatever you had with you. And I think when I, when I saw cyclocross, I saw that it was a, an exercise in expressing the limits of the equipment in the, in the person. And to me personally, I feel like there's kind of a, a life analogy of like, there's a finish line, but there's no very direct way to get there. <laughs> and you just kind of have to make it up as you go along and make good decisions that keep you off the ground. <laughs> right. And and it, it, for whatever reason, that's appealing to me. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's part of what's appealing to me. And I think you know, Rob's mentioned this before, tires are a big thing in his life, but you know, the nuance that comes into cross, whether that be tire pressure, tire tread, bike choice, line choice, all those things, it's it's a constantly evolving sport and place. I mean, you could be one lap, that's the line, the next lap, that is no longer the line. I've got to do something completely different. And I, I think that appeals to me and you're speaking to that as well. I know, Grant, that's what appeals to me as well, right? If you're one foot to the right of where you were, that might unlock the better line, the better traction, the better angle into the corner. Looking at what all the previous racers did oftentimes is the wrong thing to do. That burnt-in line is usually one of the worst lines that you can ride on. Especially in the States. I love analyzing, and I love finding the fastest way around something. To ride a corner, go back, ride the corner again. Ride. Okay, you take the wide, I'll take the inside. Let's see who comes out fastest. Two PSI higher, two PSI lower. A, A different tread. All of that can make such a big difference in cyclocross. And mountain bike has technique and mountain bike has line choice as well, but not in this very, it's almost like a laboratory for cyclocross for me because it's a closed course that's relatively short. You're doing a lot of laps on it. You can experiment, in my opinion, in cyclocross more than you can in any other discipline. Well, and and Stephen, I'll have you speak to this at Worlds last year in Fayetteville. That is what you spent the entire weekend doing was riding the course with the athletes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, in fact, like the kind of comparison to mountain bike, the big differences here is that like the industry pushes the boundaries in terms of what those bikes are capable of doing. So the, the like cross country races we're seeing now, like they're on much different bikes than they used to be on. We're still basically on the same bike. We're still basically on the same equipment. Some of the materials have changed, some of the angles have changed, but the restrictions on bike technology are, are still pretty strict with cyclocross. And the courses are just getting harder <laughs> and the races are just going faster. So like, it's not the bike necessarily. You know, It's not disc brakes that are, are, are changing the world of cyclocross. And it's not tire designs because there's really not new tire designs. 
So it really is just like evolution of people's ability and of, of ways of thinking, right? And I think that there are a lot of kind of traditionalists in cyclocross and the ones who tend to think out of the box and have a good foundation of tradition are the ones that tend to do, do really well, right? Grant, like you were talking about at Worlds, you take all these athletes that have this very ingrained sense of, of their own ability and how they race courses, but we also race in, in different parts of the world that have different types of dirt. You have three tires to choose from. One of the tread designs is more than 30 years old. You can't just swap out something and all of a sudden you're just going to be better on this new dirt, on um, those new conditions, new angles, new speeds, etc. You really do have to be able to get in there and adapt yourself. I, again, I think that's one of the most appealing parts about cyclocross is pushes the athlete to learn something about themselves on any given day. I'm very interested in that skills side of it and whether those skills can apply to other disciplines. And I I am going to give an example here because I I do have a bias that I think it's very helpful. So several years ago, I was doing a road race in an area that doesn't have much of a cyclocross culture. And that road race had a dirt stretch in it with a corner. And every time we went through that corner, a bunch of people would crash. I remember thinking, these people need to learn how to ride dirt. (laughs) And then... A couple of years later, I'm doing a kind of combo gravel road race up in Steamboat where, you know, here in Colorado, there's a huge cyclocross culture. And we hit those, those dirt stretches. I was on the back of the group hanging on for dear life going, okay, these people know how to ride dirt. And I think as gravel is on the, the rise, as they're starting to put dirt stretches into road races, you know, my bias is this can really build skills you can use anywhere. But how do you guys feel? Absolutely. The whole thing about cross is like, where's the hardest part of the course? Cool. That's the part I'm going to go the fastest on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. You don't make up any time anywhere else, right? No. And and you're exactly right. I think Trevor brings up a really interesting point to how does this stuff translate to the road or to gravel or to the things that the masses do to an extent, or even just your ability to ride in the rain. I, you know, again, a story from, from my past, I just remember riding a crit a number of years ago here in Colorado and it was dumping rain, not something we get that often in Colorado and went through a couple chicanes or through a fast corner. And I looked around the only two guys with me were the guys that I raced cross with. Yep. And we kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. The skill set it gives you just to feel comfortable on your bike by forcing you into uncomfortable places over and over again, I think is pretty extreme. I think that that's exactly it. The comfort side of this is very important because if you're used to the stressors of cyclocross, if you're used to handling essentially the same bike in those very difficult conditions, that translates to your comfort in less demanding conditions, which allows you to push yourself maybe more physiologically, or to think about your tactics a little bit more. You're not on the edge as much as you would be if you weren't accustomed to these difficult conditions. And for me, that's what cyclocross has really done. I think better on my road bike. I plan better. I'm more analytical about what's coming up, about what I'm doing. I'm not a passive rider of my bike. I'm much more active. And that's something that I learned in cyclocross. 
along with some individual skills. Like I think sure. I carry more speed through a corner than other people do. And I oftentimes gap people coming out because I've learned how to corner smoothly without over braking, how to pedal through corners. And maybe while I'm pedaling, I'm tapping my brakes a little bit to control my speed. That's a very normal cyclocross thing to do as opposed to coasting and over braking, whatever it may be. So I think that there are translations from cyclocross, not just into dirt. I mean, that's very yeah. obviously that happens, but even on full pavement racing as well. So I got to propose something that uh, I'd love to hear the three of you react to as a cyclocross riders, because I'm talking here as the road racer. When you are a road racer, if your bike starts sliding around or you lose a little bit of control of it, the only thing going through your head is this is about to really hurt. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't expect that you're going to stay up after that. For what I have seen of the little bit of cyclocross I've done, you're not going hard unless the bike is sliding and drifting around and you have to get used to just giving up a little bit of control of the bike. And my feeling is probably learning that is going to help you even on the pavement, as you said, Rob, because you probably can slide and drift a little bit even on pavement and be okay. But what do you guys think? Well, no matter what, crashing on pavement hurts, right? That's like yeah. a cheese grater on your skin. I'd much rather cr <laughs> crash on a cross course, tell you the truth. Yes and no. What I think is, is a nuance to understand, though, is if you're drifting or sliding or losing traction on a cross bike, it's oftentimes intentional. You know that it's going yep. to happen, and, and if it happens and it takes you by surprise, then it's not quite as surprising on the road. But I never, ever on my road bike am intentionally losing traction to go fast, whereas you might on the cross course because that's the right technique or the right speed. Yeah, but one of the things that I think I've really found is that, like I said, I'll come back to that statement of being comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that really is kind of the key to cornering well on a road bike descending well on a road bike. I joke with a lot of the guys I ride with that they don't have a frontal lobe that's fully developed yet because they're young. So they'll go downhill stupid fast. And I just won't do that, right? But the biggest piece of it to me, and Steven, I kind of want you to expand on this, is cross riders have to see their bike as an extension of themselves. How they interact with the terrain is so dependent upon where they sit on their bike, how they angle their bike, how they move their bike underneath them. And that becomes such a benefit on the road from the small things like jumping a pothole or, or a speed bump to learning how to really drive your bike in and out of corners. And Steven, I did not grow up on a bike. Like I, I, I mean, I grew up playing on a bike in the neighborhood, right? But I didn't grow up racing on a bike. Steven, you did. Do you feel that? Do you see that same connection with the bike being enhanced and crossed? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always been one of those, I don't know, one of those kind of intrinsic things for me where like I grew up riding BMX. I really didn't even touch a mountain bike, you know, in earnest until I was in my shelves, probably 20, 21. So I was always on a BMX bike riding street, riding skate parks, building dirt jumps and stuff like that. And you're right, it's an, it's an extension of you. It's a tool also. And I think, one thing that cyclocross does really well, like BMX, I think, is it gives you the kind of idea to set some hard parameters around the bike. And again, it forces you to both find your limitations and also eventually the, the bike's limitations, or, you know, <laughs> not always one before the other. But it, it really does kind of like push you to understand the bike is just, just a tool that you, over time, can learn to make 
fit the job you need it to do. It's always about a little bit more finesse here and there. I mean, everyone like lost their marbles watching Pitcock descend off Montu, right? It's not a surprise to me seeing him out pace everybody down those hills and like acting like the bike almost doesn't exist underneath him to get the job done. Because when you're used to a cyclocross course, when you're used to pushing those boundaries just in a warm up, just to get around some of those World Cup courses, <laughs> you really do learn that, like, okay, cool, I'm attached to this thing and it's going to go until it doesn't anymore. If I just wait a little bit more out on this foot, or if I just get my center of gravity just a tiny bit more, you know, if I do a little bit less moving the bike and a little bit more moving my body or something like that, I, I'm going to be able to, to do things that I, I will probably surprise myself with. And I think it translates really well over to the road. In, in my, you know, when I raced pro for a couple of years on the road, and I always found myself in those positions of like, like the rainy races, you know, going down to speed week and racing crits. I love racing crits. You know, it, it's, I have a love hate relationship with it. I hate laying on the ground. I love my skin. That's all cool. But I also love going super fast. I love the technical crits. I love the excitement. I also thrive when the weather gets super bad. And I remember going down to speed week. Uh, I don't remember what race it was, but it'd been a long time since I raced any crits. And I went down there. I was like, oh man, I'm out of my element here. And it just started dumping rain. And it's a nighttime race. And I remember this like smile coming on my face. I was like, oh, this is my comfort zone. I got I'm this. In. And like literally two laps later, there were six of us. And I was just on the front like, woo, that was awesome. Steven's over there lowering his tire pressure. Yeah, I remember seeing Neil Abraham like, hey man, how's it going? And he, he had all this stuff on his face and he's like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> but it really does teach you that the bike has very little limitations. You know, it, it's really, it really does come down to kind of mentality and it comes down to your ability to address those limitations with finesse and with a little bit of understanding of there's a little bit more room than you think. You know, just because you lose a little bit of traction doesn't mean it's over. Learn to kind of live with that a little bit. Learn to kind of correct that. Learn not to freak out. I think it's part of being a, you know, a, a mindful bike racer is keeping your wits about you and being able to breathe through situations like that where it's not the end of the race or it's not, it's, it's not even going to form the gap. You know, it might even just like create a gap, you sliding a little bit, catching it and getting back on because everyone else is going to freak out. <laughs> so I want to shift gears a little bit here. So we've talked a lot about the benefits of learning skills from cyclocross. What about physiological benefits? Are there gains that you can get from racing cross that are either unique to cross or harder to get other ways? And I'm going to point out, and I'm interested in the, the response to this, the highest heart rates I've ever seen have been in a cyclocross race. So I know my body responds differently to it than any other type of racing. Yeah, I think to that point, I did cross Vegas. I think I was 37 or 38 at the time, and I did the elites, and I averaged a 192 or 193 heart rate for that hour. And remember getting off the bike afterwards being like, oh, wow, I didn't think it was that hard. It, it by the nature of the sport, pushes you to intensity levels that you just don't normally see in a road race. I think it by the nature of the sport pushes you to intensity levels that we stop willingly going to as we get older. And as an athlete ages, the top end tends to go down. And if we don't train it, it goes down a lot. 
So the idea of, of having something that's fun, that is the race, that is the sport, that's not quote unquote traditional training per se. Like here's, I did, I did a workout and Rob knows this workout well. It's 64 sprints, descending at sprint intervals, another Neil Henderson classic. But I did it on Saturday, and I remember being there in a place going, I have purposely decided to sprint 64 times today, and I hit over 1,000 watts 30 of those times. But I don't think most people make that choice to do that to themselves or have any reason to do that to themselves. But you go out to a cross race. I gave it to an athlete, and he wrote me back, goes, that was a cross race. Yep. That yep. workout was a cross race. So you go to a cross race, you're going to get something that – Honestly, it's really hard to train. Isn't that much fun to train, but cross racing can make it fun and very accessible. Well, I think it's really interesting. If you look at the length of a cross race, it's long enough to be hard, but short enough that you can go hard, right? If, if it was any longer than it was, you would purposefully really be holding back three right. sections of that. You know, in cross, everybody feels good on the line. They go out hard. Maybe there's a little bit of a back off in the middle of the race, but not really because there is always a guy in front of you or a girl, there's always another corner that you have to accelerate out of. There's always a steep hill that forces you off your bike. And you get these micro recoveries, but you never ever get a long stretch of recovery, not more than 10 seconds on a long descent. Right. But then you just go that much harder when you're off the descent anyway. So the structure of it definitely keeps you on your A game, hopefully, for the entire duration of the race. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there might have been a time where especially in the elite end where there were some walls in the racing, but that's, that's long since passed for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't remember world cup I've done, but it was a let up, <laughs> but it really is. I mean, you look at like the amount of time spent over, you know, your, your threshold heart rate. It's pretty absurd. People kind of ask me a lot of like, I don't do any threshold training per se in my career for cross. always been nap style or VO2 and endurance little bit of tempo here and there, but then they always ask me like, well, where's we're going to do the threshold work? Like, I don't know. I've never done threshold in the cyclocross race. It's never really been that applicable to me. I've never really seen the value in that. And I, I talk to athletes all the time. They're like, oh, I was doing threshold at this point in the race. Well, my report is almost always, okay, cool. You were racing it wrong. <laughs> if you're doing threshold in a cyclocross race, you're not racing correctly. Just, you're, you're not going to win it, you know? Sure. Unless you're just like totally above everyone else and, and your threshold is riding away from everybody. That's one thing. If in your brain, you're not consistently having to convince yourself that, okay, man, just this one more time, <laughs> hit this as hard as you can. And I swear that's it. You're going to be done. And then as soon as you know that, you're like, all right, man, I know I said last time was the last time, but let's, let's, let's rethink this real quick. Just hit this one again. Yeah. And you have to continually do that. But it, it does become part of the, the racing strategy. You know, it's like first shed everyone, shed as many people as you can. That can come in several different ways. You know, one is like, where's your fitness level at? Generally looking at like the fields, you're going to have a, a general level of fitness that sheds 80% of the field right away in the first lap or two laps. And that is just like the comfort of your ability to get around the course at that speed, but also in terms of their technical ability. And it really is like the first 10% of the race, the front 10% of the race, ride the majority of the race at 90% of their ability, at least the ones that are going to make it to the end. The ones that make it to the end tend to be the ones who can push to like 95% of their ability, 98% of their ability, one or two times throughout that race to make those selections. 
And often it's riding at the absolute limit of what you're capable of doing and then pushing that just a little bit more. And that's not something that necessarily you get all the time in road racing. There's no sitting in, there's no kind of relaxing, there's no doing threshold, there's no sitting back in the pack. So in terms of like what you can kind of get out of it, it's a willingness and an understanding with yourself that you have to push your limits. And there's, there's not really like a, I may not finish this race. You get to that point when you get there. You don't get to kind of decide that mentally, if that makes any sense. Well, I love that point because I do think it encourages risk-taking right and and road road racing almost discourages risk taking in some places I, you know well i'm i'm going to make sure i have an, enough to get to the end i'm going to make sure that i can finish this ride or this race or any of those things cross forces you to a completely different spot you're hoping you can finish this race cuz you already went so deep well that's something i have noticed as a road racer and the cross races i do you have moments in road races where people are attacking and so you're going to go in those moves you're going to go with those attacks but there's a certain point where you go okay this is really hurting you drop back into the field and you rest before you get back into the moves again you make a decision right you can't do that in cross because if you go well I, i've just sprinted out of a few corners to stay with the the lead guys i want to take a rest there's nowhere to take a rest they're going to drop you <laughs> yeah yeah so but but I am going to point out, going back to our conversation about threshold, my strategy for cross involves a lot of threshold. So here's <laughs> here's what I do: I sprint off the line with everybody else. I quickly end up last watts. wheel. Yeah, and then I kill myself for twenty minutes to stay with everybody. And then when they all pass me, at that point I go, there is no strategy left for me. <laughs> then then Trevor, <laughs> so is, I might as well go threshold. <laughs> he's, he's he's threshold time trialing to just not get lapped at that point. That's fair. One thing that I always notice that I I like as a coach, how you use something like Training Peaks or a training platform to look at cross racing. Right, I, I've come mm -hmm. to the point where TSS for a cross race is wrong. Yeah, there's no other way to right. put it. Right, Out the window. You, you do an hour cross race, you got felt like you got put in the burlap sack and beaten. But you come out and you look at it and go, oh, the TSS is 55. <laughs> I know. Right? Come on. <laughs> so I tend to you know, go back to this idea of uh, sometimes even using the average heart rate and getting the TSS out of it that way. So I, I think that's an important piece of this puzzle that when, when people are trying kind of the, uh, the high-end intensity workouts that we're talking about for cross or try a cross race, Almost, this is one of those rare places where a, a cycling coach would go, look at your heart rate. Don't necessarily yep. look at the power or the average power or those things with it. You were working in a way you can't normally or won't normally work. It'd be really interesting to me because you're never spending long stretches of time at any particular workload. It would be interesting. I would love if, and I don't think this research has been done, if anybody has actually looked at um, oxygen consumption throughout the course of a race with like a portable metabolic unit. Because I bet you're at relatively close to VO2 max for a very significant portion of the time. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's five second efforts, you know, above threshold repeatedly, almost like a, maybe a Tabata style yeah. workout. Yeah. And, and so you're never sitting at that max aerobic power for four, five, eight minutes like you would normally do a VO2 workout at. Mm -hmm. But I bet you you're at really high oxygen consumption the entire time. Listeners, over the past two years, we've been building out an incredible knowledge base of training science at Fast Talk Laboratories. 
Working with the Fast Talk guests and world-class experts, we now offer 11 deep-dive guides into the topics you love, like interval training, polarized training, and data analysis. We offer seven comprehensive guides for coaches, and now you can have it all free for 30 days. Join now at FastTalkLabs.com with discount code 30DAYSFREE. That's 30, the number three zero, days free, and you'll unlock all of our content. Our trial offer expires October 31st, so join now before it's too late. So you brought up the whole development side, and so this is actually a good segue to our next question, which is, in the past, the traditional way to develop junior riders was get them on the track get a lot of intensity and later on when they get older you can you can build that base and turn them into a pro but it seems like in the last five six years we're seeing a lot of top top cyclists actually come out across programs how do you guys feel about this is is this as good if not a better way to develop junior riders well i like it a lot because there's a couple of aspects of it that are pretty unique that really serve well to developing junior skills or also just the family setting. And that's one of the pieces of the puzzle. We're starting to have these big junior cross programs across the country, Boulder Junior Cycling, Midwest Devo, these programs that are really doing special things and bringing groups of kids together. So instead of cycling being an individual sport that you're going and doing on your own as a 12-year-old that you look kind of weird because you're in spandex, all this other stuff, you're surrounded by a bunch of other kids that are like-minded with coaches that are like-minded, you have a ton of support and it feels normal and it feels productive. The other thing that's great about Cross for Juniors with that idea is that it's a really family friendly. So it's one of the real, myself now with young kids, and I know Rob can speak to this as well, that's one of the reasons I don't do a lot of road racing. It's an hour to get to wherever I wanna to get to. It's a two to three hour race when I'm there. It's an hour to hang out afterwards. And then it's an hour to get home. I'm away from my family for five to six hours. And if they come and watch, you know, they came and watched Copenberg a couple of years ago and they got to see me five times. And that, and that was great for a road race, <laughs> Yep. right? But if they come to a cross race, we hang out before, we hang out after, they see dad go around eight times, they get to do the little junior race, you know, my wife races, all of these, it's a family-friendly sport. So getting kids into it, it, again, just amplifies this normalizing, normalification? Perfect. Yeah, normalizing of cross as a real sport, as a kid sport. Yeah, I've been fortunate to engage with cross in, in a few different ways. First, as a racer, myself, you know, being a selfish person, that's always where I start. <laughs> um, but, then, but then second, with the junior program, I helped coach the elite program of Boulder Junior Cycling for, gosh, six, seven years, if I remember correctly. And I only stopped that when my kids were old enough to go into BJC, into Boulder Junior Cycling themselves. And, and I wanted to step back from the travel that I was doing and, and be able to focus and be a dad at that point and, and not a coach. And, and so it's been really interesting for me to see the sport from these different aspects. And, and you know, Grant, my, my kids, we were talking about it earlier. My yeah. kids are off to cyclocross practice this afternoon after work. But it is a very unique opportunity because it gets, it gets kids off the road. It gets them into a safe environment. It gets them into a place where you can learn about success and failure because in cross, <laughs> you are going to crash. Something is going fail. to go wrong. 
you're going to get a flat, you're going to get ridden into the tape, you're going to fall over. I don't know what it is, but you're going to get back on your bike and you're going to keep going. I love that as as just a philosophy for life. And I've always instilled that in my cross riders. You know, so cyclocross is something that is just this unique opportunity that's usually relatively, at least for us, relatively close to home. I think depending on where you live, there's a lot of opportunity for that for a great weekend. And like you're saying, you can show up and mom and dad can race. You know, your team has a tent, everybody's there together, and, and it is a group sport. I know Boulder Junior Cycling is, is typically about 100 riders or a little bit more each year. Uh, that's an incredible program size, and, and we're very unique here, and I get not everybody is like that. But I think all of the things that you named, Grant, are pretty special and pretty unique to cyclocross. And, and mountain biking is fun, but mountain biking doesn't have the ability to see the riders. It doesn't have the ability for those riders to be on a closed, relatively safe course where they're able to push themselves and try new things and take risks. And out on some single track in the middle of nowhere, you might not yeah, want to yeah, send that yeah. because if it goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong. And those things for cyclocross, I think, make it really unique. And uh, it, it's why we continue to do it as a family. Well, and I, I'm going to push this to you, Stephen, but one of the other things I really like about it is that, and Rob, you alluded to this, I, I had a rider I coached for a number of years who would practice his rut riding by creating a rut in his backyard. Yeah. And so he was doing his skill practice, literally, and he didn't have a big backyard. He sent me a picture of it one time, and it was like this 10,000 foot square foot backyard, and he had this giant rut running through the middle of it. But Stephen, with your background in BMX, cross is pretty unique in the ability, the accessibility for so many people to train it and race it. Yeah, and I, and I think that like you guys, you all said a lot about the accessibility of it, and I think that's a really important piece of it. But we're also talking about the accessibility of of U.S. cross racing, right? And I think that traditionally, a lot of like the, the European, the Belgian side, but you, you might actually see more of like kids only type races where there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. That isn't necessarily like mom and dad coming to race, but like maybe just a lot of kids, but an entire family coming out and doing those. And in those settings, you're also talking about like very small towns with large populations of cyclists. Here, we don't necessarily have that. So we do have that kind of more inclusive atmosphere like that, granted geographically much different, right? And so we're, we're definitely talking about more regional, but it, it does, you just see a lot more families traveling together to do all this stuff. But I think one big part we're, we're missing in this conversation is, is the actual development of the athletes when it comes to the ability to continually race. And I think cyclocross is a really good means for this because it's almost like every lap is a new race. You know, if you do four laps, you know, yes, the, the, there is a four lap race going on, but there's also a race within each one of those things, each one of those laps and, and kind of a second chance every time you go around to, to get it right or do something else. Then with juniors, with younger riders, with youth, you know, age group riders, some of those kids will do like two or three races a day at these venues. And that's three times a day that a kid gets to practice racing. And when you do a road race, you know, you do all this training, you do all this time, you go out to do the road race and you have one shot. And if you get dropped for the first bit, you get dropped. You no longer race you suffer or, you know, whatever you go home, not by grace. You know, if you, if you just can't cut that top half of it or whatever, you know, a lot of people end up just kind of riding solo. You know, most, the majority of people that I talk to that do not by racing to some 
prove you're not, end up just riding the entire race by themselves. Cycling routes can be a much different environment there. And I think when we look at the racers that are coming out of cyclocross into the pro links and are able to not only make it into like the pro tour, but they're also, they're, they're changing our worldview when it comes to what an athlete at that level is capable of doing. Like for how long would everyone be legs up until the tour of friends or like doing very specific buildups for those things? Like at what point did anyone think that we were going to see somebody winning the mountain bike Olympics, but also like winning stages of the Giro or the Tour de France and then also racing cyclocross? Like, no, not a chance. There was always a, uh, a sport that you did part of the season that you did that was like kind of for funsies and like was good for fitness. And so you wouldn't like just absolutely like go insane riding base miles in the rain to your ultimate, you know, glory one. And then there's some like, go do it to collect some start money. You know, that was always, always a big thing. It's like, just show up and be like super famous in this small town and build it for like a day. But now we're, we're seeing athletes that across the border are better than everyone. I, I think that cyclocross is a, is a really good arena to build good athletes in. There's another aspect of it that we're also seeing that the cream kind of rises to the top physiologically. I think we're also seeing, we're seeing once in a lifetime athletes, like, you know, three and four in a row here at the same time. And that's, that's, that's pretty bonkers. I mean, obviously coming out of like the, the major doping era, it's it's always kind of like a little bit shocking and there's always a kind of rumor going around. But when you cast a giant net, you catch more fish. And some slip through and some just happen to like get pulled onto the boat. And the ones that get pulled onto the boat get kind of separated even more. And so the bigger net you cast, the more athletes you're going to get. The more athletes you get with the more development opportunities, which I think cyclocross is a really exceptional area to do that in. Multiple races a day, multiple races a weekend, relatively long seasons, accessibility, and a fun factor of getting to actually see people and be involved in an environment and, and have like a community support. It really is a recipe for great development. I mean, where are the velodromes now? I mean, you guys, y'all don't even have one anymore, no, right? Yeah. Velodrome is gone? Yeah. Yeah. Where are the velodromes? I'm not within, I'm hardly within driving distance of one. It's a day drive down to Trexler Town or something like that. Cyclocross really does have kind of a lot going for it in terms of, of development of youth athletes. Yeah. And I think that there's kind of an elephant in the room that we need to address here. In my opinion, it's that cyclocross could be the best means of development of youth riders. However, it will never be that in our country, specifically because it's not an Olympic sport. And you don't have the funding, you don't have the support from NGBs, USA Cycling, sorry, calling you out on this one, that things like track has. And Trevor, as you pointed out, track is a more more traditional development route. And as Stephen is pointing out, there are no track opportunities. It's actually a terrible way for us to develop these mm-hmm. youth riders. For us, yeah. But it gets significantly more it gets significantly more emphasis because it is an Olympic sport and and we are after getting medals. So we have to understand a little bit of the nature of our country with this too. We don't send talented kids to a place to develop. So you can't handpick 20 kids, send them to a track and let them develop there. That's just not the way the States works in terms of their system. 
So some of the things that Steven's pointing out are, are really reasons that cross could be good, but it speaks to the conversation we're having a little bit. Cross as an addendum, cross as an addition to what you're already doing can really be special. It develops the high end, develops the skill set in a way that you just can't get. And it develops a social aspect of our sport that normalizes it and makes it comfortable and makes it really exciting for kids. So I that's where I want to see us understanding this. And I think Stephen pointed this out. We're seeing these riders that are continuing to do both. They're continuing to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That's something that I think is really important with the junior programs is to, hey, yeah, let's do some cross. Let's develop your skill set, make you one with the bike. Let's go do a little road too. Let's go do a little track too. Let's go do a little mountain bike too. And then you have these kids and these young athletes or even master's athletes, master's athletes out there. If you do a little bit of everything, you're going to start to see where you're really excel and it fits you individually. And you can then kind of lean into that vein of your cycling. So let's shift there. You have a master's rider who hasn't done cross. They've been road biking, they've been mountain biking. What's the reason for them to say, okay, I'm I'm 30 something or I'm 40 something or like me, 50 something and should just be put in the home. <laughs> uh, what is the benefit for, for us to say, let's, uh, let's try cross. Let's see what this is about. Well, I'm going to jump in on this because I'm a unique situation. I mean, I started racing bikes at 31, 32. I mean, I did some triathlon, but I think my first cross race was when I was 30 and then I didn't come back to it. I didn't start racing the elite side of cross and I was never any good. Nobody think that I'm ever comparing myself to Steven, but I raced elite for four years. But the first year I raced elite, I was 36 years old, 37 years old. And I remember there's a race around here called the Copenberg and it's got this short hill in it and often it's rutted out and often it's hard to ride. And I remember the first year I wrote it, I had a teammate go, yeah, there's no way I was going into that section behind you because there was an 80% chance you were going to screw it up. That was where my bike handling and power was when I started racing bikes. Cross has moved me to per somebody at 36, 37 who started racing cross to now in my mid forties or late forties where if I go to Copenberg, I've got people lining up going, that's the wheel I want to follow because he'll pick the right line and he's going to have the most power going up that section. That's what Cross did to me as a master's rider. And to call Grant out here, he did win the final edition of Copenberg. <laughs> yeah, the last one. So I, I do think that that is something that I can speak to for riders coming to Cross as a late, at a late age. It's also fun in my mind, Maybe I'm unique in this, but I like going to do something that, A, I have no pressure to be any good at it, and it's all a learning. It's a blank slate. It's all an opportunity to get better. I can go out and be terrible and know I probably got better that day, but if we're going and doing the same thing that we've been doing for 20 years, it's hard to see our improvement. Well, and I think that this goes the other way too, to not just to the road side, which is what we've been talking about a lot, not just to the gravel side, but also to the mountain bike side too. You've been mountain biking for years and years. I think that your skills can get relatively stagnant. And the only way to improve those skills is to do things that are more technical or to go faster, but ultimately to put yourself in a situation that has higher consequences if anything goes wrong. And I think that cross is very sneaky in its skill development because you're in an otherwise safe environment, 
that enables people to push themselves, but on a bike that isn't really made for that. And so your skills are going up and you're not even realizing it. And I oftentimes find when I get back on my mountain bike, I have so much confidence. I can read the terrain faster because I'm used to doing it on a bike that really can't keep up and shouldn't be doing that. That when I'm on my mountain bike and my mountain bike is so capable, suddenly I am so much faster because I'm used to doing it on this rickety machine that I'm trying not to pinch flat or break a wheel. And and so we have to understand that cyclocross, it goes both ways in its development. You actually bring up a good point, and this is just a little aside, but some of the, the best skills development work I've done is I go up to this mountain bike trail called Batasso, and I go up there on my uh, cross bike. And one of the things I love to do is try to keep up with the mountain bikers on a cross bike because they've got all this great suspension. They hit all these rocks and just fly through it, and they don't even feel them. I actually have to navigate my way through and be careful. Yeah, pushing that boundary. is You look at the world, you look at the trail, the terrain, you look at it differently on a cross bike. And if you can come in as an athlete and look at a cyclocross course as this experiment, you are the athlete, you need to do a complete lap, multiple laps, and by the end of it, you know, hopefully that last lap is the most efficient lap you can possibly do. And it starts with the pre-ride and the warm-up, where you're, you're just understanding the elements and you're understanding like what is being presented to you. Then you go through and you do your kind of like warm up laps in that regard. And you're like, okay, well, this is where I'm at. You do your kind of like your push lap where you're like, okay, well, actually that was a little bit harder than I thought. And then as you get into the racing, you have this one level that you start at. And I always try to push my athletes or myself to be, you know, 10, 15, 20% better at riding that course by, by the midway of, of the race. If all things go really well, you're riding at a level that you did not anticipate in the beginning, going to that last lap or two laps. And then you still, through your kind of experimenting, have a couple of cards up your sleeve where you're like, okay, well, actually, I, can, I even have like a couple of extra lines here. And I think that from a development perspective, in terms of like, a crit racer or road racer, you don't really get that opportunity very much. You really don't get that like replay. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. Even in races, you're practicing. You know, and I, th- I think that if you're able to come into the cross season and say like, cool, it's bike riding practice season for the next like three months or six months or whatever it may be, you'll, you'll always come out on the other end more confident and, and probably with abilities that you didn't even realize you have or, you know, you don't until you kind of pull something off that I don't know, somebody else points out, you know, they're like, how did you do that? They're like, I don't know, that's just what we normally do, uh, right? <laughs> So as we're starting to wrap up here, I have one last question for all of you. And Stephen, we'll, we'll start with you with this question, which is, let's say we have a road biker or a mountain biker who wants to try cross. That's going to significantly lengthen their season. So how does that change training? And I'm assuming part of this is you're going to need a rest period in there at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely going to need a rest period. I, I think it's a it's an often overlooked, probably more common than not, kind of tactic to go in and uh, just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I took a week off and, and I'm in the race. I think if you want the most out of a cyclocross season, you should set some goals around it. Even if it is the low pressure season, I think setting some goals can have a, a really significant impact on what you get out of cyclocross season. You can still have fun and have a low pressure environment if you set some performance goals around it. And if you set some goals, you set some boundaries. 
with the boundaries comes, you know, rest. With all that high intensity, it's very important to take a rest. And in order to come out the other end hungry and ready to race and to get the most out of it, absolutely, rest has to be an important part of it. I also think it's worth having a reset in your brain to be doing something different than you had before. It, it's pretty easy to kind of just relax and, and rest on what fitness you're kind of carrying in from the end of the season. You know, if I had the opportunity to say roll straight from the end of my road season, you know, one week later into a cross race or take three weeks off and still do four cross races, I would definitely pick that like week off and two weeks of just some training. One for like your, your mental stability, like give yourself a break. Cross is hard. We saw it with, you know, Blevins when he came out to do Baltimore after having just an incredible mountain bike season. And Baltimore, he was just like, all right, I'm going to pick up some, some cross races. And this is, we're going to, I'm going to do four or five cross races. And then, you know, maybe I'll do the World Cup in Fayetteville. It'd be awesome. This guy with incredible fitness and incredible skill, just a hands down better athlete than, than even I am. And he got done with that race weekend. And he's like, yeah, you know what? This is just too hard right now. I got to take a break. Just not for me right now. And it's really important to have, you know, some, some clarity in, in that way so that you can, you can get something out of it. And it's not just a drag on your already beaten body, <laughs> but also for, for safety's sake, understanding and learning your bike, your different bike, your different equipment. I see people all the time, like get on their cross bike, like the day before a cross race or the first time they get on their cross bike is the cross race. And they feel very you know, out of it and not confident. And wow, I just, I thought I was better than this, but like it, it takes, there's a transition period. It, it, it's different. It, it needs to be different and you need to treat it as different and have some like, you know, have some respect for it for sure. Well, I think, I think one of the really good points to this was watching Vanderbilt come to cross last year and yeah, he was unbelievable dominant, but the first couple of weeks it took him a minute to get back into it. We saw it with Pidcock and mountain bike worlds. Pidcock is an unbelievably technically good rider. He was getting gapped in the technical sections of that race at Leggett because he hadn't been on his mountain bike nearly as much. So I think that's a really good point. The big thing that I would throw in here is understand how intense a cyclocross race is. If you're going to do a cyclocross race on the weekend or two cyclocross races over the course of the weekend, you have now taken your two, two of your main big workout days and stuffed them into a weekend. What more do you really need over the course of a week? You know, we used to have this conversation with, with some of the Dutch coaches when, when I would, would talk to them. They'd go, you, you Americans train way too hard. You're into cross season. You have two hard races on the weekend. Go ride in the forest on Wednesday. Don't do anything else. You can't handle anything else. If you are a data person and you decide to try cross, turn off your CTL graph. Yeah. It's... You're not going <laughs> to like it. No, it's just going to go down. <laughs> it's going to plummet and you have to accept it. Yeah, Grant, I'm glad that you bring this up because thinking about this from the perspective of an athlete where cross is not their first sport, that's the topic of this conversation. How do they incorporate it? Are they doing cross-specific workouts or is the cross race itself enough of a workout for them? Are they having high volume or is their volume relatively low because this is the off-season 
And then we're expecting to build after the cross season is over. How do you look at this from an athlete trying to improve their other disciplines? Well, I think first things first, Stephen made such a wonderful point. Taking a week or two to do some workouts that are specifically geared towards that cross season so that you're not going into it and just shocking the system. So that might be some sprinty stuff. That might be some mock racing. That might be some of those things to get you, A, used to the bike, B, used to the demands. And then coming into it from there, and I got to be honest, I don't know how much with my high-level cross racers during the season we're doing that many workouts. We are maintaining as we go into the season and understanding that the racing will bring us to a higher level. And I'm going to make a guess here and, and talk to Steven about this and have him point out what he would do. But when we go into mid-season racing breaks for our cross athletes, everybody's like, okay, we're going to take three weekends off of racing. Now we're going to go train. Yeah. We don't go train. We go ride base. We try to get a base structure back and maybe we'll do some longer sessions. But I mean, hey, Steven, you got to go on training camp with Wout. What'd you do? <laughs> Yeah, I got killed. That's what I got. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it really like, it comes down to, you know, what you want out of your season, right? And I think when you're looking at a long season versus a short season, you know, if you want to do three cross races, would I say go train between them? Probably not. Would I say you're going to have some like great fitness afterwards? No, it's going to be on the downward trend for sure. In general, one workout a week, if you're sustaining a season, I don't know, maybe a third of a season and then break up to maybe one or two small training blocks, depending on your goals, depending on the length, length of the season, et cetera. I, I think that the rest of the time is, is, you're right, it's volume. And for me personally, I always looked at the volume, the base endurance, and looked at how hard I was doing that as the dictator of how kind of fresh I was going to come in. So I kind of treat zone two in two zones, if you will. So moving into the cross season, as I'm building up a lot of base riding, I'm riding towards the top end of that endurance zone. I'm creating more fatigue to get a response. As I want to get sharp, I pull back a little bit on the hours, but I'm still doing the workload at a lower pace. So I'm doing maybe like less than the lower 50% of that zone. And you're able to kind of keep some of that workload up and you're able to take care of and, and maintain your muscle fibers, your body, your hormones. And you're getting like 80% of that good workload in, but you're also building a really sharp system that can handle that kind of abuse. Now, once you get down to, once you get down to kind of brass tacks and look at what those smaller training blocks are like, it kind of depends on how much time you have. I'm a big fan of micro blocks. And it turns out what I had been doing was not dissimilar from what we ended up doing on that Kelpie trip. Just the, the amount of it that we were doing was significantly more. And that just, that came down to the athlete. Like it was designed for him. It very rarely will I ever throw out my workouts for someone else, but this is a special case, right? <laughs> so when with Wout, um, do as Wout does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but do it on his wheel because his endurance is about 100 watts more than my endurance. <laughs> it's pretty significant. So, but what I did also learn from that is, you know, micro blocks, key in on volume, be very specific with the work you're doing, but also look for like, and this is always kind of a key facet of my training. Like, 
I don't know if I coined this term or not, but I really like it of extreme mediocrity in terms of like what training you do. Cyclocross is really hard. It's really hard. It should be. It's supposed to be. And if you want to be good at it, you have to mentally prepare and physically prepare to go to the extreme one can do for the length of, you know, the duration of the race. So that kind of by necessity means you can't do that in your training. So this like extreme mediocrity is like, it's going to do the work for the sake of doing the work. And you're just kind of plugging the holes and you're going in there and you're like, okay, I'm going to go do my map removals. Am I going to see the highest peak power for the amount that I'm doing? I hope not because I want to see that peak power in the races. I want to see those extremes come out when you're the sharpest. I want to see a dull kind of clock in, clock out type of work where you're focusing on those elements that create the good structure around the work you're doing. And then ultimately the things that create a good uh, outcome, a positive outcome from the training are things like eating food and drinking water and sleeping and getting like moderate amounts of intensity and moderate amounts of endurance. <laughs> nothing extreme, nothing crazy. You know, I, I think that that's one thing I learned or solidified in, in the work that I have done on those training camps. It's something that I've learned over my career. The times that I pushed the hardest in training were the times that I struggled the most in racing. In the most, the, the times where I, I checked in did relatively good work that was no frills that, that no one would give me a medal for. I ended up being able to push so much deeper into those seasons and get so much more out of my races because my body had more to give and my brain had more to give. And, and furthermore, my heart, my psyche had like so much more to give because uh, that was where I was putting all, you know, that was the, the basket I was putting my eggs in. That, that's where I was pushing and striving for, for kind of greatness in that regard. I think that's a great point with cross in general. It's a kind of a nice place to end the discussion about cross is cross is about the racing. You got to be special there. And that's, that's for a lot of people, they can use that racing as that training. And and, and that's what we're going to kind of go with. Steven, I don't know. You maybe listen to us do this, but we'll start with you. This is your opportunity. If you, if you have a, a quick, you know, 30 seconds of knowledge bomb to drop on people? What do they need to take out of this episode? For me, the major take home here is that I believe the cyclocross has a very broad or could have a very broad impact on, on a cyclist's trajectory, given they use it for what it is as a really good learning experience and a way to push themselves out of their comfort zone. And I also think that it takes some pre-planning and some attention to it. And I think you can get a lot out of it. So when we came up with this idea of talking about can cyclocross help your overall fitness, even if it's not your primary sport, I was giving this a lot of thought and why we're seeing so many top cyclists that start and cross. And we touched on some things that I think are really important in this episode. One is that skills development, which I think translates to everything. The second one is just how high quality the high quality is that you get. But that's also, it's a couple months of getting some really good high quality. And then, Stephen, you brought up a, a point that I'd actually wanted to go back to and I'm just going to use as my take home, which is because it's a shorter season, you then get a good period of time to do some base work and develop that aerobic engine, which if you go that traditional route of, say, something like track, you don't get as much. So it's just this really good mix of some really important elements to develop as a cyclist. Senor Holicky. 
I agree with both what Stephen and Trevor said. I think that the unique qualities of handling your bike, development of skills, and structuring of not just the season, but as Stephen said, your planning of how to like, man, you can't go do a cross race unless your equipment's dialed and everything's ready to go. And so that translates so beautifully to gravel, so beautifully to road, so beautifully to those things. My big thing is it's just such a fun atmosphere. It's such a unique place to compete. You can bring your whole family. You can go to the beer garden. You can go do this. You can go do that. I think one of the things that I'd like to see American Cross do more is showcase the carnival that can be a cyclocross race. And to those of you out there listening, if there's one nearby, go watch it. Go go watch the UCI guys jump the barriers. Go watch what they can do on a bike. It'll change your perspective when you see it in person of what a bike is capable of doing. And I think that's super cool. Yeah, Grant, I wanted you to go to before me because you kind of segued into what I was going to say and, and to piggyback on Stephen a little bit earlier. Cross is good for your legs. It's good for your lungs, but it's also, it's good for your mind and it's good for your heart and your soul. It is a unique way of looking at the sport. It encourages creativity. It encourages you to go harder than you've ever gone before and do that in a unique way. And I think because of that, it, it makes it, it's certainly my favorite, but I, I also am biased and I think that it's great for development. And so parents get your kids involved and USAC get junior riders and support them involved but do what you can for junior and youth programs. We talked a bit about Midwest Evo and, and Boulder Junior Cycling, but there are so many else out there. You know, Maybe we can plug those a little bit later. But cyclocross ultimately is just such a great, well-rounded thing that for me, yeah, there are physiological benefits, but there are so many more benefits than that too. As an alternative, as somebody who gets passed by the leader in a cross race four or five times, not sure it's good for my soul, but it definitely leaves a good soul searching. <laughs> Perfect. It's a good humbling experience. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> training Trevor's humility. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Trevor was mad that we did a gravel ride and I could keep up with him because we were on dirt. <laughs> we were going up a hill. Well, that's your specialty. <laughs> you did good. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Check us out on Twitter at, at Fast Talk Labs or check out our knowledge base and services at FastTalkLabs.com. For the illustrious Stephen Hyde, the dirty Grant Holicky, and the step-through dismounter Trevor Connor, I'm Rob Pickles. Thanks for listening.